This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Worth Your Time podcast. I am so excited to speak with my guest today. She is Claire Colwell, the author of a new book that we're going to talk about. Claire, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Yeah, well, I was just telling you and I said, we've got to just start recording because I'll just start talking and I'll want it on the podcast. Um, I'm so excited that I've, I'm getting the chance to um, to review your book. Um, it is called Survivor, an Abortion Survivor's Surprising Story of Choosing Forgiveness and Re Finding Redemption. Um, I hadn't heard of it, but then um, I, I Christianity Today reached out to me. Um, about doing the review, and I was really excited because it's always fun to like have someone reach out to you instead of you reaching out to them as a freelancer. Yeah. Tell you that. Um, <laughs> so as soon as I heard the title, though, I mean, I was immediately intrigued by your story. I've personally uh, been a person working in pro-life work basically my whole life. I remember, you know, marching and um, things, and when I was eight years old, and so it's always been a subject that's very close to my heart, and so it's meaningful to be able to hear your story, um, and thank you for coming on the podcast to share it today. Uh, I would love if you could just tell us, kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself now, your family, where you live, and some of those more current details. Current details, sure. So I'm a wife and a mother. My husband, David, and I have four children. Um, we live in Austin, and my husband works a full-time job here in Austin. I uh, travel and share my story across the country. Um, do a lot of fundraisers for pregnancy resource centers and pro-life organizations and um, yeah, working on my book that will release in April. So uh, just kind of hunkered down like the rest of you in, in 2020 and now rolling over into 2021. I, um, I wish I had more exciting details to share with you about my current life, but this is it. I mean, spending time with my family. Um, but I've been grateful because I do travel so much that I've had this extra time at home. So, um, so yeah, that's my first job as mom, wife, and then, um, I speak and, and writing a book. And how old are your kids? They are 18, uh, 12, 11, and seven. So, um, we have a blended family. I married a single dad and that is a part of survivor. So whoever reads it, will get to, um, just kind of experience that journey with me of becoming a wife and a mother. But I've had the privilege of raising my husband's children, um, who are the 18, 12 and 11 year old. And then I have one biological daughter who's seven. So, um, adoption is our normal. We like to say in our family, mm -hmm. uh, we have more people that are adopted in my immediate family. I feel like than we have that aren't adopted. So pretty cool side note. That's cool. The more we can, uh, promote adoption, the better, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, of course I want people to read your book, so I don't want you to give us every detail, but I, I would just love if you could give us sort of the short version of your story. I mean, we know the the nutshell from the title of your book, but, but tell us a, a little bit about it and how you came to this place. So 11 years ago, I met my birth mother. And up until this point, um, I knew I was adopted. 
my sister and I are both adopted actually. And so um, our entire life, we were told that we were loved, wanted, chosen, created with a purpose. And we knew that we had birth mothers. We knew that one day they could possibly be part of our lives. And we were open to that. We didn't know what it would look like. Um, definitely didn't know that I would find out the most shocking news of my entire life when I met my birth mother. Um, but going into that meeting, when I met my birth mother for the first time, I knew what was true about myself. I knew those things that my parents had told me all my life, that I was wanted, chosen, and loved. And so the incredible part of, of meeting my birth mother and finding out such heartbreaking news that I'm, I'll share with you in a moment is that none of those things changed about me, regardless of of how disappointing it was or confusing it might have been, um, whatever I would find out, I was still wanted, chosen, and loved, not only by my family, but by God. And so I went into that meeting knowing those truths about myself. And I, I sat across from my birth mother on our second meeting, and she broke down into tears after I gave her a gift and thanked her for choosing life for me. And she said, Claire, there's, there's something I need to tell you. And I, I think back to that day and I think about the tears in her eyes and the pain in her eyes. And it's still indescribable to me. Nothing could have prepared me for what she told me next. Um, I, I, up until this point, I, I used to think about the person who had been affected by abortion. And I thought, that will never be me. I mean, that's not my story. I grew up in this incredible home. I remember thinking my entire life. I was 21 at this point when I met my birth mother. And for 21 years, I had not ever thought about abortion much. Um, but when I did think about it, I used to think that will never be me. I mean, that will never be my story. I was raised in this incredible home, um, given this incredible foundation. Um, that, that type of person who's been affected by abortion will never be me. And yet I sat across from a bed with on a bed with my birth mother, facing my birth mother, seeing the tears in her eyes, um, seeing this deep pain in her eyes and hearing words come out of her mouth um, that changed my life forever. She said, Claire, when I was 13 years old, I was pregnant with you. And I was given one choice that was to have an abortion. Um, my mother made these decisions for me. And um, she described how the the doctor told her that her life would go back to normal, that this abortion procedure would solve her problems. And she said it didn't. She said that um, after the abortion was over, they sent her home and things just didn't seem right. And so she went back to the doctor to be told that she had actually been pregnant with twins and that I had accidentally survived her abortion procedure. And so in that moment, I'm sitting across from my birth mother uh, not only seeing the pain that she had experienced because of abortion, but realizing that I was that unborn child that grew up to be somebody. I was that person who had been affected by abortion, who thought for my entire life that that would never be me. And I realized that there were so many people in this country that are just like me who are hurting because of what abortion has done to them and done to their family. And so um, found out the most shocking news of my life. I mean, some people would say, gosh, that's 
that's like the worst case scenario. You go into meeting your birth mother, you think, okay, I'm gonna see who I look like and who I act like and, and find this incredible hopeful story of how my birth mother wanted me and chose this adoption story for me. But I sat there and, and found out that it was the worst possible thing. But in that moment, as I, I saw my birth mother's tears and I heard the words and I heard what abortion had done to her, and I, I tried to maybe grasp a little bit what that meant for me and what it had done for me, it really humanized the issue of abortion for me. It made the woman that has experienced an abortion real to me. It made the, the man who has experienced abortion, it made me empathize with that person. It, it humanized that unborn baby because I was a, a human being inside of my birth mother's body and I wasn't given a choice. In fact, my birth mother wasn't given a choice. And so I knew that God's fingerprints were all over this story. And so I asked my birth mother, I said, hey, can I share this? Because I realized that for a person to look at me, to look at my face, that they were actually looking at that unborn child because they're looking at the face of my twin. And so I realized what God could do through this story, how he could move, how he could protect life and um, empower women and families to know that they're not alone, to know that they have choices and options and support available to them. And so I, I asked my birth mother in that moment, fully expecting her to say no. I mean, this was her deepest, darkest, most painful secret. Um, but she said yes. She said, yes, Claire, you can share this story because I never want another little girl like me to go through what I went through. And I mm. never want a child like you to go through what you went through and, and live the rest of their life as an abortion survivor. And so um, I, I kind of just decided to, to go for it and to begin to share my story. And so um, it's been incredible. It's been hopeful. Um, I chose to forgive my birth mother that day. I know um, that that was the right thing to do. I know that God has forgiven her, had forgiven her before she even told me that I had survived an abortion. And I knew that in order for me to heal, for her to heal, um, not only did we need to accept Christ's forgiveness for us, um, but I also needed to extend that to my birth mother. And so I have forgiven her. Um, she has found healing. She has shared her story as well. And um, we just hope that people will hear the redemption in the story, hear what God can um, turn into beauty from ashes as he uh, promises in the Bible that he will do for so many of us. And he's used uh, this story to bring light, to bring hope, to bring healing to so many people. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Oh, man. You know, even though I've read your book and I, I knew your story, just hearing you say it gave me chills. Oh. <laughs> it makes me kind of tear up a little bit just looking at your face, just because you are the literal embodiment of, you know, this this issue that we talk about um, across the country and the world, um, you know, and, and for someone to be able to look at you and especially, I mean, it's just so much more tangible in that you had this twin that did not mm -hmm. survive. Um, it, it adds another layer of depth to your story. I mean, when you heard, I mean, not only to find out that you survived an abortion, but to find out you had a twin, that had to be a, an emotional, like, oh, 
How did that feel to learn that you had a twin? What was that like? I think that in the moment, like as my birth mother shared that with me, as I heard it for the first time, it was so hard to process. I don't know that I processed it for weeks later because the loudest thing in the room that day was my birth mother's tears and mm -hmm. the pain in her eyes. And so I think that I was, I was really grappling with what she had experienced. And as I went home and uh, shared with my family and um, with my friends and those that are close to me, I began to navigate what that means for me. And I'll never know. I, I won't know on this side of heaven what I'm truly missing. But I know from talking to other people who are twins or that have twins in their family that I am missing the person that would have been closest to me. I mean, basically mm -hmm. my other half. And I definitely knew my twin in the womb. We were in the womb for five months together. And, um, you know, through ultrasound technology, we can see what that connection is like for twins and how human they are at five months old, five months along. Um, gestational age. And so mm -hmm. um, I think that's been that's been the more difficult part because I trust God. I trust his plan for my life. I trust that he wrote this story perfectly for me with a purpose to point people back to him and to his grace and to his plan for life, his design for life, his call to us to protect life. And so I trust the plan. I trust the bigger picture because I know who wrote it. Um, but the hard part for me is just knowing that the abortion procedure that took the life of my twin was a dismemberment abortion mm -hmm. procedure. And so my twin was literally dismembered right in front of me. And, and that's, so yeah. it's, it's hard because it, it, it makes it real to me. Um, knowing that I wondered what was missing when I was little, knowing that I asked my parents questions about another sibling, knowing um, just just that there's going to be this hole for the rest of my life and knowing that that it could be that way for other people, knowing that yeah. other people could be missing a child, a, a sibling, a twin, a um, aunt or uncle or cousin or, or however it is that every single child that is dismembered in the womb, that they had a name and a face and a purpose, and it was written perfectly by God. And so um, even though it's hard for me to grasp the fact that I was a twin, it actually motivates me to know that I can use this story for good. Um, and I can use this story to share with other people because maybe, maybe you're like me and you hadn't thought about abortion. You hadn't been affected by abortion, whether uh, maybe you don't know that you've been affected by abortion. I believe that most people have, whether they know it or not, because we know that one in three women are having an abortion in our country today. And so we know that far more people like me um, have been affected by abortion, even though they haven't personally had an abortion procedure. And so um, it, it just made it real. And it made it tangible to me to know that there are people in the pews of my church and there are people in my neighborhood living around me. There are people in my family who have been hurt by abortion. And so even though I can't grasp maybe what I'm missing because of a twin, I can grasp what happened to my twin.
and I can grasp how it affected me and how it's affected people around me. Um, and so it motivates me to act and to not be silent because for 21 years of my life, I was silent. I did nothing about something that's affecting families in our in our country today and their families just like mine and just like yours. Yeah, I, you know, I, of course, the compassion that you have for your birth mom was just so beautiful. And it reminded me of, you know, sometimes it seems like the pro-life movement is very misunderstood. Um, you hear a lot of sort of um, incorrect assumptions. Um, and and what I've, my experience with the pro-life movement is extreme compassion for women. And, um, you know, we believe that abortion has two victims, the mother and the child. Um, you know, do, do you do you see that as well, that sort of misconception about people that are working in the movement? Absolutely. I, I think that the media has a big role in that because they have um, singled in on a very small group of people who act in a way that I um, do not support. I don't see it as effective. I think that the only way to reach women and men and families and children and generations is through compassion, through speaking truth and love, through support. Um, and I would say that the majority of the pro-life movement are people like me who are working with pregnancy resource centers and adoption agencies and pro-life grass uh, roots movements that are working legislatively or through um, education and things like that. But it's always in a peaceful, prayerful, yet truthful way. Um, I think that there's a fine line. We have to be truthful. We cannot ignore what abortion is. We cannot ignore what it does. Um, and so I think that that's really hard for people to hear sometimes. We like to stay in our comfortable bubble. We like to, um, you know, I don't know if you've done this before, but you scroll on Facebook and you see certain things. And then if you see something about, you know, human trafficking or, or um, children being used in pornography or something like that, you just, your, your natural instinct is just to keep scrolling. Um, and so I think that, it's truthful and we or we need to speak truth and we need to speak it in love and we need to stop staying in our bubble and mm -hmm. pretending that things aren't happening that are things that are evil like abortion and so even though um yes pro-lifers have been uh portrayed in a way that maybe isn't true because my experience is that most of us are peace, peaceful and kind and want to help and want to support mothers. And it doesn't end when the baby's born. There's so many services that that are available that we're um, coming together to offer as a support, as a resource to families. Um, I also think that there's this side of um, the let me think about how to phrase this. Um, I also think that something that is really troubling is that so many Christians just keep their head in the sand and we're mm. apathetic and we don't want to know about it because it would be too painful to know about it. And so we just keep going about our life as if things 
like abortion, like human trafficking, like so many of these injustices that we care about um, aren't happening in our country. And so, yes, we we can we can blame the media. We can blame people who have have spun this false narrative on the pro-life movement. Um, but I think it's bigger than that. I think that as Christians, we have got to come together and we have got to say, you know what? We've had enough. We are no longer going to tell women that they need to kill their child in order to live their life. In fact, we're going to we're going to step out in faith and now we're just going to embrace women and we're going to love women and we're going to walk alongside women because that's what Christ has called us to do in the face of discomfort, in the face of um, rejection, like so many of us have experienced. Um in the face of so many things, because. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. That is how Jesus loved people, and so that's how we should, too. Yeah, that's so great. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I want to, so you, you, when you found out this information, you had not been involved in, in pro-life activism at all, correct? I actually had not heard about what the pro-life movement was. Like, I don't, yeah, it was just sort of like not on your radar. I knew nothing. I, um, yeah, I was studying to be a nurse. I was in college. I was just living a normal life. Um, definitely had plans for my life to be a home healthcare nurse and I'm an introvert. So never had a plan to step foot on a stage or go out on a limb and talk about the two most offensive words in the dictionary, Jesus and abortion together. Um, <laughs> never, never planned that and definitely had never heard of um, a movement that that helps women when they're facing a pregnancy situation. And so I think it's so, I mean, it's, not that interesting because it's obviously God had a call in your life to do this. But just when you heard that story that you were compelled to share it, because I don't think everyone would have that reaction. You know, I think it clearly was God's like spirit working in your heart to say like, okay, this is it. Like this is take this message. And and when once your birth mom gave the permission to, to share it. And so you went down, right? Didn't you say you like wrote your story down and you copied it? And you went down to the activists that were, you know, the local activists at the clinic or whatever. And you were like, uh, I just wanted to. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that and how they how they responded. Yeah. 
So I think it was two months before I met my birth mother. No, I'm sorry. It was after I met her because she told me about her abortion on our second meeting. So it was in between our first meeting and when I found out that I had survived an abortion. I um, lived in an apartment going to college across the street from Abby Johnson's Planned Parenthood in College Station. And I knew nothing about Abby. I knew nothing about the abortion clinic. In fact, I didn't know that Planned Parenthood was an abortion provider. And so I would see these people outside what looked like they were praying or just standing awkwardly facing the <laughs> clinic. I didn't know what they were doing. And I thought it was a little odd, um, but I could see them from my balcony and I could see them like every day when I drove to school or drove to my home healthcare job. And so I stopped one day and I asked them and they told me and I thought, okay, like that's cool. I'm adopted. <laughs> I agree, but definitely not my thing. Like I'm not doing that. I wouldn't know what to say that just, yeah, I walked away thinking that's not my thing. So then, okay, so maybe a month later, six weeks later, I met my birth mother, found out that I had survived her abortion, um, light bulbs going off in my head about how God could use this. I, I grew up in a ministry home. My parents worked for crew for mm -hmm. um, over 40 years. So I kind of was just... Um, that's ingrained in me just to think like, okay, what's the bigger picture here? What can yeah. God do with this? How is he, um, how is he going to use this? And so initially that was my thought, like, okay, this is a big deal. I can either think like a victim or I can think like I'm victorious. In mm. fact, that's what my name means. My name, um, my parents call me Lauren Claire and then the meaning of my name is victorious one. And so that's the first thing my mom said to me when I uh, shared with her about this was just like, God knew. I mean, we named you victorious one. He knew all along. And so I thought, well, maybe those people that pray outside that clinic could use this. Like maybe they could do the talking. Maybe they could handle it because <laughs> I don't want to be the one to do it. And so um, I took it to them. And of course, it was a week after Abby had left her job at mm, that wow. parenthood. And her, her story had gone all over the news. And I didn't know this. So when I walked in the door, I shared this with them. And of course, they're crying. They're their jaws dropped to the floor. Like, what did you just say to us? And they said, would you like to meet Abby? And I'm like, who's Abby? But okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll meet her. And so here I am in this room with a former abortion clinic director and me and the people that work for this coalition for life. And they're like, Claire, you need to share this story. Like God wrote this story for you. You are the one that he wants to use through sharing this story. And I thought, no, 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 no. That is, that is not me. I'm an introvert. Um, I like to stay in my bubble. I like, I like to be comfortable. Like I, I wouldn't even know where to start to talk about these things. And so they said, just, just share it. And so I did. I shared it with a, a little youth group one day um, in, in December of 2009. So it was about five months after I had met my birth mother. And um, I saw the impact that it had on these kids. And I saw how they 
um, humanized the unborn child through my face and through my name and through my story. And they cared deeply about my birth mother and what she had experienced. And it gave them renewed hope to, to know that one day, one day the the pain will go. One day, one day, um, Christ will come back and make all things right. But also on this side of of heaven, that we can use our voice and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we can reach these moms and these children and these families. And so I said, "Okay, God, if you open the doors, I'll walk through." I'm thinking like. Okay, he'll he'll like give me five times, you know, mm. and uh, it was like the floodgates open. The next year, I spoke maybe twenty times, and it's um, been a steady, probably thirty to to forty times a year, um, maybe more. I I really don't know, but it's been incredible. Not what I planned, but um, like I've said. All along, I, I trusted God and I knew what he could do. And I knew that if I set myself aside and I just said, God, use me, you give me the words, you gave me the story. So you give me the words, um, show me what I need to say, show me what I need to do. I knew that he would. And he has been so faithful in that because um, talking about something like this, that's not my natural thing. Like that's not me and my gifts and my talents. It's it's 100% God who put me, um, who wrote my story, but also put me in the right place at the right time with the right people outside of an abortion clinic who, who would encourage me to step out and share my story. Um, wow, I just lost my train of thought. I had a question that was like right there in my brain and it just went away. Um, I'm going to find it again though. Um, I was like, following up. Okay. What was I going to say? Oh yes. It, it came back to me. Um, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, I know you're sharing mostly with pro-life groups, but I'm sure you've had encounters with people who are not in agreement with you on that. Does it seem like your personal story, like you coming from this experience, does it seem to have a more powerful effect on folks coming from the other side or, or do they seem to have more respect for what you're saying because of what you've been through? Um, you know, it's I get various responses. I, I will say that I have a lot of um, people that come and protest my speaking events and um, that that definitely don't want my story to be heard. Um, I've I've seen a lot of people that that like we've just talked about my face and my name and my story, it humanizes the issue to them. And after they they see that and they make that connection, there's no turning back. Maybe they came and they said, I am for a woman's right to choose. And then when they leave, they say, you know what? You were a woman and you weren't given a choice. So how can I stand behind that when it doesn't make sense? And so they might change their mind. But I would say, um, that the people who come and, and protest events where I am or who write things that are really hurtful, actually, um, about my story, maybe say that it's not real, that I made it up, whatever it is that they're saying, um, I often look at that as a good sign because I mm. feel like um, they wouldn't scream so loud if if they really believed that they were on the right side, if they mm -hmm. if they really um, thought I was crazy, 
they wouldn't give me the time of day. I think that they come because they're hurt and they're hurting so deeply from an abortion that they've experienced that they're they're trying to justify it. So they're shouting a little louder when in reality, I think that they have been hurt by abortion or they've been hurt some way in their life. And so they're 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 hurting, but they look like they're shouting. And so um, it, it does it. I would say that you can't look at my face and deny the the humanity of the unborn. You can't hear my story and deny the pain that abortion causes so many women and so many men and families across our country. And so it's a conversation starter. I will say that it shocks people just like it shocked me when my birth mother shared it with me. I mean, it's like, is this real? Can this really yeah, because people don't think it's real. Obviously, we've got legislation mm -hmm. that that has worked through Congress. Uh, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act is, is something that people um, have debated, um, and, and it's not common. Of course, it's not common, but it does happen. And I I think you referenced her in your book. I've met one other person, Gianna Jessen. Yeah. Yeah, so I used to live in Washington, D.C., and I worked um, on Capitol Hill for several different organizations. And so anyway, I was sort of, and I've like been to the March for Life a million times and uh, been very involved. So I met her at one point. Um, but but was the number that you quoted uh, like about 230 people from the Susan B. Anthony Foundation? Or yeah, the Susan B. So, Anthony list? So I've personally met... Um, maybe six or eight abortion survivors uh, personally actually know them and have met them in person. Um, but there are, yes, Susan B. Anthony List has a has an article that documents um, 230 abortion survivors, but um, there's also the Abortion Survivors Network that is ran by a friend of mine who is also is an abortion survivor. And um, there have been over 300 that have uh, reached out and shared their story with mm. um, that organization. And so we really don't know. I will say that um, a lot of survivors are probably like me. They, they may never know their story. They may find their story later on in life. Um, a lot of survivors are raised by their biological parents. And so their, their mother or their father may never tell them the reality of their survivor story. So, um, and, and like you mentioned, there are laws that prevent um, children from getting medical care after they uh, survive an abortion, or I'm sorry, it doesn't prevent, but doesn't require doctors to give medical care. And so um, that number, uh, I don't know if we'll ever know until we get laws that require documentation for survivors, how many there actually are. But um, I used to believe that it was rare. I, I can't say that I believe that anymore because we um, just in Texas, which is where I live, um, there was a, a document released um, by the CDC that said, there were multiple babies in the state of Texas that survived an abortion last year. And so um, this is an ongoing thing uh, that babies are surviving. And it's something that we need to be talking about. Yeah, man, it's just it's hard to believe. Um, you know, so often when we're having these conversations, and I'm sure you probably have them a lot, it does seem like we talk past one another. Um, 
the, the pro-life side and the pro-choice side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, were you speaking to someone right now that that was not on the same side of this as, as we are and they would listen? What would you say to them? Um, I think I would ask for um, you to really listen. I mean, listen to to women, listen to families that have experienced abortion, because I think that if we would listen to each other, as you you just said, um, that we could truly empathize with one another. I think that we've lost a lot of that in society today as we just want to be right and we just want to argue back and forth and make our point. Um, and yet so many of those things are maybe not based on truth and reality. And so I think that that listening to each other is so important, educating ourselves on what abortion actually is, what abortion actually does, um, what the abortion clinics are actually doing. Are they, um, are they safe? You know, that's a, that's a reason that people fight for abortion all the time is to keep abortion safe. And yet, um, what I know about abortion clinics is that they're failing and, and violating health inspections left and right in our country today. And so is abortion really safe if we keep it legal. I mean, there's there's just so many things that that we can do to um, not only hear the stories of other people, but to educate ourselves and um, not just take like somebody at their their word for what is true and and right about abortion, but to actually go and say, okay, what does science say about this? What does medical technology say about this? And if you're a Christian, what is God? say about this. There are so many things in the Bible that point to God created life in his image. God created life with a purpose. Um, and, and so we should be protecting that life. And so I think that, you know, you've heard my story. You've heard the stories of other people probably who have been affected by abortion in different ways. But have you truly listened? And then have you gone back and really done the legwork yourself to educate yourself, to find out the truth? Because if you do, um, I know that every single thing that that you um, find out and, and gain will point you to know that there is life inside the womb. And it is a human life, a human being that is inside the mother's body with a separate set of DNA, with a separate beating heart, with with organs and um, so many, so many gestational milestones. Um, And then that human being is just as valuable as you or I. And so, um, yeah, I would just ask you to listen and to educate yourself, because I I truly believe that that is all we need to do as people, as Christians, is just to do the legwork. But so many of us are not willing to do that because we want to just stay comfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's literally a matter of life and death for millions of people. So it's, it's a hundred percent deserves the time in, in, in educating yourself on it. Um, we're closing up the interview now, but you know, as your book is coming out, that's so exciting that you're able to publish your story. How are you feeling about things and and the book coming out and and how that's going to look? Thank you for asking. I'm I'm really excited. This has been, um, gosh, I don't know, 
10 years in the making. I've I've um, wanted to put my story down on paper for years. I actually was turned away four times. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like God was just leading up to the right moment, um, the right time when people truly needed to hear a story like this because it's so truthful, um, yet it's so redemptive. And so um, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm feeling vulnerable because I feel like I'm just putting my life on display for the world to to hear it and including some of the most, um, some of the hardest moments of my life. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to do that because I, I can just picture the person that's reading the book that's not heard a story like this before, that's never um, you know, connected to the dots there, maybe, or or that's struggling with adoption issues, or maybe experienced an unplanned pregnancy, or had this these identity questions, whatever it is. I just picture the person that picks up the book, and and I picture them turning the last page of that book and just um the the redemptive piece that that brings it all together is so exciting for me because um, I feel like it's going to work in the lives of people and it's going to point them towards God's forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. But also it's going to wake up the sleeping giant, um, which which are Christians who who have been apathetic to what is happening with abortion all along. So very excited. Um and just just really humbled by the opportunity. I never imagined that God would use someone like me um, to share this story with the world. All right, thank you so much. Stay on the line. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening in today. Um, we hope that you get out there, buy a copy of Claire's book because we all know that the first like day and week of sales are very important. So please support authors, buy this book, um, support the movement. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.